Hello, readers. Adam Schefter is an NFL insider for ESPN. But football is on the back burner for our conversation. Adam is also the author of a new book, The Man I Never Met, a memoir. Adam and his family lost a close friend in the World Trade Center attacks on September 11th. So did Sherry Mayo and her son, Devin. Their husband and father, Joe Mayo, was several floors above the first plane that hit World Trade Center 1. Eventually, Adam meets Sherry, unapologetic as her status as a 9-11 widow with child. They fall in love, get married, had a child of their own, and continue a life together to this day. This book expands on that, as well as Adam, his family, and many other loved ones working through the complexities of living through the loss or losses suffered on September 11, 2001. Adam, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? Train Brett, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Why did you decide that now is the right time to write a book about this incredible story, Adam? Well, Train Brett, what happened was basically we ran a piece about Joe Mayo on the 15th anniversary of 9 11. It ran on the opening day of the NFL season on ESPN Sunday Countdown, and it generated a tremendous reaction. It really touched, moved, and inspired a lot of people, a lot to the point where there were people that felt like we should turn that story into a book. And that's what we did. And this book was put out. It is designed to honor Joe Mayo's legacy. It is designed to pay tribute to my wife for her toughness and resiliency and getting through a tragedy. Her and Joe had just moved into a new home in August of 2001. Their son, Devin was 15 months old at the time. And he went to work at Cantor Fitzgerald on September 11th and obviously had his life snuffed out from him when he was 32 years old. And so it was up to Sherry to move forward and Joe to be remembered. And this book was a effort to do just that as well as to, I think, give people who are going through tough, challenging periods in their life, dark times, the idea that there can be hope, that a heartbreaking story can turn into a heartwarming one. So this is all done with that in mind. The book came out last week. The reaction to it has been exactly the same as the TV piece. People have commented to me that they've read it in one sitting, loved it, raved about it. You just read the reviews on Amazon. Um, take, you know, take my word for it. Just look at Amazon, the man I never met, and all the reviews there. And so, again, the idea is to remember Joe, salute my wife, and give some people who have been grieving some reason to hope. And I can concur with all of the positive things said about the book. I had the pleasure of reading this book over the last week, and uh, you can't say enough good things about the words that were put to paper by you. Uh, I don't know if you had a co-author or not, but uh, you're obviously— Michael Rosenberg Rosenberg helped me, and he did a great job, yeah. Okay, so uh, obviously your story, though, and uh, you had a heavy influence in all of this. Now, although this interview that we're doing right now won't air for a day or two, we're actually talking to you on September 12th, and that's a fitting day for this book which you write uh, the story for the book really begins on September 12, 2001. Why did you decide that this is the starting date for the story? Because life goes on uh, as horrendous of a day as 9-11 was, and there's not a single worse day in our country's history than that day. Um, people have no choice but to try to try to pick up the pieces of their life and, and to move forward and move on. And, and so that's what this book is designed to try to demonstrate and show. And, and people have moved on. And, and look, you know, my, my wife is forever changed um, by that day. And it took a part of her that she said can never be replaced. And the male family will never get back their son. And their lives have been damaged tremendously because of it. 
But, I mean, they're still here on Earth. They're still left to move ahead and move forward. And that's what they have tried to do. Let's fast forward a little bit to where you and uh, Sherry actually crossed paths in life. You uh, admit that your dating life was a mess in the mid-2000s in Denver for a while, and then eventually you moved to New York City as well. Eventually, you had somebody who offered to set you up with three different women, and he mentioned at that time that one of them was a 9-11 widow, and for whatever reason, you actually decided that she was the woman that you wanted to meet First, you compared the jolt of energy you felt after your first date with Sherry Mayo to what it feels like breaking a huge piece of NFL news. Is there a specific piece of news you broke that is analogous to that first date? I don't know about that. Uh, it was just it was just a situation where when I met her, I knew she was unique and special. And you know, it's a, it, you know, it's um, when the adrenaline of a big story, the adrenaline of a big date. You get excited by these things. So if there's a similarity, I would say that was probably it. Adam, we just, uh, of course, passed another September 11th. I'm just curious, your first September 11th with Sherry, what uh, you know, what, what was that like? And then what uh, just every September 11th moving forward has that been like with her? Yeah, they're challenging. It's always a somber, sobering, no matter how much time goes on. That never changes. Um, it just it's it's always that way, and um, it, it, it's tough. You feel bad for the Mayos. You feel bad for um, Sherry, Devin, everybody. You know, this year I went and sat with my wife on the couch, and they began the roll call of names as they honor the victims from that day. And they start with the last names that begin with A. And I was sitting with Sharon. I went upstairs to go get changed and make some calls and come back down. When I came back down 20 minutes later, they were just finishing the A's and getting out to the B's. Mm. 20 minutes. And I thought to myself, we all know how huge 9-11 was. But when you're upstairs for 20 minutes and they just get through the A's, that is just another reminder of the scope of that day. And it was big, obviously. So you end up proposing to Sherry after dating for just six months. Why did you pull the trigger so fast, and how did you pop the question? Well, I uh, I had dated enough women in my life to to know when something felt right, and um, with her, it felt that way. It just felt right. It felt natural, um, and so to me, there was no need in waiting to start the rest of my life. And so I proposed to her, and. Uh, Got some help from Devin, our son, and it was a very emotional moment, and, and it's, it's very well documented in the book. And one reason that we were able to document it in the book is because I kept a journal every single day of my life since 1990. So when I was writing the book, I was able to go back into the day that I proposed, and there were things in there that I didn't even know were there that you read about, and you're like, wow. And that's why you keep a journal, so that you have moments like that that are recounted exactly as they were. And you mentioned Devin. How important a factor in winning Sherry's heart over was forming a loving bond with Devin, and how did you go about doing so? Well, winning over her heart, I mean, if you're marrying Sherry, it's Sherry and Devin. You weren't just dating Sherry, marrying Sherry. You were getting both. It was a package deal with Sherry and Devin. And so you just tried to could with Devin and, and, you know, have fun with him as a kid and bring him tattoos and spend time with them. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's not always easy. 
um, I think being a parent is always hard, always hard for anybody. It's one of the most rewarding, the most rewarding, gratifying experience you could have. And it, it's tremendous, but it's not always easy. And I think it's even more challenging sometimes if uh, that child is not biologically yours. It comes with its own challenges, but, but he's a great kid. He's got a lot of tremendous qualities, uh, and we want to see him turn out to be the great young man that he has a chance to be. Adam, you write uh, in the book that Devin doesn't ask about Joe very often. Uh, just, no. just curious, did, did you write this book, at least in small part, as sort of another way for him to get to know his dad better down the road? Yeah, that's definitely true. I mean, that was a part of this that, you know, I don't know when it'll be, but I think one day, um, whenever he's ready, he's a freshman at college right now. He's busy, you know, getting acclimated to classes and having fun and doing whatever 18-year-old freshman boys do. Hmm. But I, I do hope the day will come, whether it's five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, that he sits down to read about his father. And, and I think it'll be an educational experience for him to learn about how revered and respected and charmed and charismatic and handsome and successful Joe was. And, and I think maybe he knows it, but it'll be another thing to read it whenever he's ready to do that. Adam, to describe the many people affected by Joe's death early in the book, you use a circles analogy. I think of a picture like an archery target. Joe was in the middle. The innermost circle consisted of his wife, of course, Devin, uh, his parents and brother. The circle outside of that contained other close family and friends and another circle with those who loved him but weren't as close. After all these years, having married his widow, served as a father figure to his son, getting to know so many of his family and friends who loved Joe so dearly, which circle would you put yourself in in 2018? Uh, well, I haven't thought about that, but I would just say that I would say, um, you know, I'm married to his wife and I'm raising his child. So I would think that that would uh, put me into his inner circle as, I, as there could be, right? Like, I mean, I consider his parents to be my in-laws. So... I don't know what archery sir. I don't know whether I'm red, blue, yellow. I don't know where their circles stand. But, hmm. but again, uh, you know, he's a, he's a part of our family, just like I would think I'm a part of his family. Adam, you uh, admit all sorts of trials and tribulations that happened just with your and Sherry's relationships throughout the book. Uh, there was a conversation as to whether or not you wanted to have a child of your own. It's something that you had always dreamed of. She was uncertain. There were some health issues going on. But ultimately, uh, she did get pregnant. Uh, she did birth a, a beautiful, uh, loving, a lovely daughter that uh, that is uh, still a beacon in your eye to this day. Now, toward the end of the book, you actually tell a funny story about a time you accidentally let work override parenting, and it involved a guy roundly despised here in Austin, Jeff Fisher. What exactly happened? Well, why is Jeff Fisher roundly despised in Austin? People hold a, a, a people begrudge Jeff Fisher because of what happened with Vince Young in Tennessee, and they think that Jeff Fisher is primarily responsible for derailing Vince Young's career. We know that there were other factors that helped derail Vince Young's career, but a lot of people feel like Jeff Fisher was the primary culprit there. Well, that's, uh, that's I had not heard that. I was not aware of that. It's interesting to me. Uh, but basically what happened was when Jeff Fisher was a coaching free agent after being let go by Tennessee, the Dolphins and Rams both were very anxious to hire him. And I don't want to say it was a bidding war, but he could have picked jobs and organizations. And, and it was when Dylan, I, I don't remember the year, but she couldn't have been more than a couple of years old. So she was born in 2008. So I'm going to guess this would have been 2010, roughly. Uh, we can look up when Jeff Fisher was hired by by the Rams, and I was out to lunch with Dylan, 
And I remember I was at a gas station getting gas. And I got the text that Jeff Fisher was going to take the Rams off and go coach with the St. Louis Rams. And I was like, oh, my God. So I posted on Twitter, filed it to the ESPN news desk, ran home, raced to go do live shots because sports owner wanted to do live shots. And, you know, I, I was rushing. I'm like, how soon can you get back? I'm like, I'll be there in five minutes and race home to get ready for Sports Center and run inside and get on camera. And I'm doing all these hits on Sports Center about Jeff Fisher taking the Rams job, biggest coaching domino has just fallen. Rams have found their man. What are the Dolphins going to do now? <laughs> my wife walked into the office. She goes, where's Dylan? <laughs> and I went, <laughs> Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I forgot her. She's in the car sleeping. You know, so, I mean, that, you know, it, it's just a sign of how it was an adjustment to get used to you know, taking care of other people. Um, and while your job is always important, sometimes you have to remember that others are way more important than your job. Last thing here. Uh, do you ever consider the butterfly effect on your life if Joe Mayo hadn't been in the World Trade Center on that yeah. fateful morning? If so, what would your life be like if Joe Mayo was still alive? Oh, I mean, uh, just totally different. Totally different. Uh, and, and um, I mean, I, I can't even imagine. You know, I, I would be married to someone else. My daughter wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have the relationship with Devin that I do. I, well, who knows? I mean, that's that's the sliding doors of life, right? And and it's written about extensively in the book, and I think it's one of the more provoking items there, um, because it's it. There's a lot of things about it that are tied into that about Joe being there that day. You know, he usually could not have been for a number of reasons that are detailed in the book. Um. So it's yeah, it's that that's life, right? I mean that that's how that's how these things operate all the time. It absolutely is, and you really pour your heart into these pages, and you really also expose yourself as somebody who's a public figure in this world, somebody who is as good of his job at uh, as anybody in the uh, the world's most popular sport. Uh, so for you to really have the guts to be able to tell this story and really go behind the scenes in your life, I want to tip my cap to you for that yeah. one, Adam. It's a, a very well-written book, and I can't uh, recommend it enough to people. The book is called The Man I Never Met, a memoir written by Adam Schefter, and uh, Adam has been nice enough to join us for a couple minutes today. Adam, thank you so much for the time. Thank you, Adam. Trey and Brett, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.